when the body is broken, the healing becomes available. So, we're very, very nearly there, aren't we? Christmas Day is just one week away. We're almost there with this Advent series to the gift. Uh, we've talked about gold. We've talked about the royal and ruling Jesus and his good news announcement and what that means for you individually. Uh, we talked about frankincense. Jesus as this perfect and eternal high priest and the help that is now available to you again individually because of who he is and what he did. And today we're going to talk about myrrh. Now again, I wonder how many people know what it is and could spell it without autocorrect uh, on some kind of <laughs> device. It's not a very common word, is it? It's not a very common uh, thing. It's not a word that we use a lot in our everyday lives. We talk about it every Christmas season, uh, which is good. Uh, but other than that, we don't often, I don't, find myself talking about myrrh very often. Uh, it actually pops up less than 20 times in the Bible. Uh, from all the way back in Genesis 37 where we see the traveling traders and Joseph and his brothers and some of the stuff that they're traveling with and trading in is myrrh. Uh, we see in Esther chapter 2, it's part of the beauty treatment uh, that we see there. It's in the Song of Solomon, and we read about how, how pleasant it is uh, as a perfume. And then into the New Testament, it's a gift for the young Jesus. We read, wise men opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, it's also part of a painkiller, a bit of a mixture of, of stuff that the suffering on the cross, Jesus was offered. And then as we'll talk about today, and as Rad read for us, it's part of a, a burial uh, balm, as, uh, so to speak, for the crucified Jesus. So, what is it? What is myrrh? Well, if you look it up online, if you Google it, this, <laughs> this is what it'll say. Myrrh is a natural gum or resin extracted from a number of small thorny tree species. Myrrh resin has been used throughout history as a perfume, an incense, and a medicine. So very, very simply then, myrrh is a gummy-like resin, a little bit like frankincense, uh, and it comes out of a bushy tree, a few smaller bushy trees. Uh, it smells good, and it had many, many uses in biblical times. Most frequently, though, it's associated with suffering and death. It was often used as an embalming fluid. Um, mums and dads, I'll let you explain that to uh, children that you've got with you. And it was also wrapped up with bodies uh, because the, it smells very strongly and it would go a little way to masking uh, a body that was beginning to smell very strongly. Again, Parents, you're welcome. You can have those conversations later. Uh, so the wise, the wise men's gift then of myrrh prophetically signified, told us something about the future, that Jesus was born to suffer and die. The gift of myrrh then symbolizes his ultimate 
purpose, his mission, his ministry, that this royal and ruling high priest person of Jesus would fulfill, uh, that the world should be saved through him, as John writes in his account of the gospel. And along with Easter weekend, uh, Advent, the build-up to Christmas, uh, is perhaps, is maybe the best and most appropriate time of year to talk about myrrh, given that it was given to Jesus as a, as a young boy, as a gift. But it symbolizes his suffering and death that he came to endure. Maybe so far then you've found it quite easy to get on board with some of the stuff that we've talked about. You know, gold represents the deity and the ruling authority of Jesus. He's, he's God in the flesh and he, now he's in charge because he's God in the flesh. Frankincense is the priesthood. I can get on board with that. We need somebody to go between God and man to stand in the middle. But myrrh, suffering and death, and he did that for me on my behalf. You know, maybe you find that a little bit harder to get on board with. Do, you know, do I really need that? Why? Why do we need this gift of a sacrifice? I feel like I'm you know, kind of doing all right by myself. I seem to be doing all right by myself. Uh, by the standards of the world, I seem to be doing quite well. Actually, so why do I need the help and healing that comes through the sacrifice that Jesus made? Maybe you can accept, all right, he's, he's, he's royal and he's ruling. Is that in between, between God and man, the intermediary? But do I really need a sacrifice? Do I, do I need, I don't really need much healing. I think I'm doing fine. But if you listen to that influence, it's going to, if you tell yourself that, you know what, I am doing all right, I am a pretty good person, uh, I'm not as bad as so and so, and I would never do what they did. Uh, if you entertain those ideas and start to believe those ideas about yourself, uh, it's a very, very slippery slope that finishes in a pretty dark destination. And if you end up thinking like that, then Logically, the next step down that road is then what is Christmas to you? What's next Friday, the day we're going to celebrate Christmas, what is that day to you if you don't think you need what was gifted to humanity on Christmas Day? What are you actually celebrating next week if you look at yourself and think, ah, I'm doing all right. I'm a pretty good person. Is next week then just a, a chance to gather with some friends and have a really nice meal? Because, let's be honest, you can do that today. You could do that once a week. You probably should do that regularly. Why next Friday in particular? Maybe it's a chance next Friday to show those people in your life that you love and care about that you love and care about them by getting them a gift, something that you know that they need that will make their life better. But again, let's be honest, you could do that today. You could do that next month. Why Christmas Day, if that's how you think of Christmas? You can see where this is going. If you don't think of yourself as needing a savior, of needing the divine rescue that God put into action all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that we talked about a few weeks ago now. If you don't think you really need the help and healing that Jesus offers because you know 
I'm a pretty good person. Then what are you actually celebrating next week on Friday? If it doesn't mean to you, if next Friday, the day we celebrate Christmas Day, if it doesn't mean to you what it ought to mean to you, then with all the love in the world, you need to just have a good long look at what you're planning to do next Friday. And actually, let's, let's be really frank and really straight, the good long look needs to begin with yourself from a position of tried and tested truth. Uh, not what you see in the mirror, not what the culture of the day will tell you, the shifting sands of the culture of the day. Uh, because very, very simply, when you take God's word seriously, you will see yourselves differently and you will celebrate Christmas appropriately. This is not like Burger King. Uh, you can't have it your way. Uh, it is what it is. It says what it says and it means what it means. So what does all of that have to do with myrrh? And then what does myrrh have to do with you? Well, as Rad read for us, today we're going to look at a, a, a very small passage uh, from John chapter 19. So again, if you've got a Bible, I'd really encourage you to open it uh, to the fourth book of the New Testament. And we're going to go quite near the end of that book uh, to John chapter 19. And uh, we'll read a few verses from John chapter 19. We'll pick it up in verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate if he could remove the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he went and took the body away. Nicodemus, the man who had previously come to Jesus at night, accompanied Joseph, carrying a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 75 pounds. Then they took Jesus' body and wrapped it with the aromatic spices in strips of linen cloth, according to Jewish burial customs. Now, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb where no one had yet been buried. And so... Because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they placed Jesus' body there. So, this little passage begins after the crucifixion of Jesus. That's the after this uh, of verse 38. And we see that his body is being prepared for burial. As part of that process, we read that Nicodemus... The man who had previously come to Jesus at night accompanied Joseph, uh, carrying a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 75 pounds. That's upwards of 35 kilograms. Uh, they took Jesus' body, wrapped it with the spices in linen cloth, according to Jewish burial customs. Nicodemus, then, was the man, as we read in that passage, who'd come to Jesus previously at night and was the man... Uh, who during that evening encounter was told the now very, very famous words of, of, uh, that we would read as John chapter 3. Well, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and is explaining how it all works, how it's all going to be. And he said to Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up 
so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. So Nicodemus heard that in the dark, secretly, that was between him and Jesus. Now he is out there with his faith. Now he's out there very, very publicly. He's accompanying Joseph. He's carrying a mixture of myrrh and aloes. We said it's 75 pounds. It's about 35, 36, 37 kilos. And they take Jesus' body and they wrap it with strips of linen cloth and these, these myrrh, this myrrh, these aloes, these very fragrant substances. Joseph, as we read as well, was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. So these two guys, who up until now have believed in the dark, so to speak, are now overtly public in their faith, and they're doing something horrendously difficult. Just pause and think about what they're doing. They took Jesus' body. They take it down from the cross. They're taking an impaled body full of splinters and wounds and blood down from the cross. And then they wrapped it with these spices and linen according to Jewish burial customs. Part of that then, part of those aromatic spices that we read, was myrrh. 75 pounds, 35, 36, 37 kilos of it all was a massive, massive amount of spices to, to, to bury a body. It's, it would have been hugely expensive and there was no way to do this secretly. They're, they're carrying more than 35 kilograms of spices and, and fragrant resins. Just imagine going down to the souk in Manama and asking for 35 kilograms of spices. There's no secret way to carry that back to your car, is there? It's not going to fit in your pocket. It's not going to fit in a backpack. There's no secret way of carrying 35 kilograms of spices around, is there? Nicodemus and Joseph then are now ultra-public in their faith. They're taking down a crucified body. You can't do that secretly. They're carrying 35 kilograms of spices and stuff. You can't do that secretly. So they're now ultra public in their faith and what they're w with what their faith is now causing them to do. They'd been very, very secret believers, shall we say. Now they've become very, very public followers of Jesus. It's not really the main point of what we're talking about this morning, but if you've been coming to faith in the dark, so to speak, if you've been keeping it a secret, there will come a time when you see things for how they are, when you see Jesus for who he is, and when you look at everything he did as being very, very personal, that he did that for me. And then what you believe in secret will now be professed with what you do very, very publicly. Joseph and Nicodemus, it's taking down the body of Jesus from the cross. It's anointing it for burial. They're now out there. They're now believing 
with their actions. They wrapped his body with these aromatic spices and strips of linen, according to Jewish burial customs, and part of that was myrrh. The Jewish burial customs of the day, so I read, uh, didn't involve mummification or embalming. Uh, very, very simply, taking stuff out. Uh, the, the normal process, uh, the Jewish burial customs that we read, was to uh, wash a body, to cover it in cloth, as we read, uh, with very strong-smelling oils and spices, and then lay it to rest, to, to, to bury it. And this burial is very, very important. It's part of the good news that Paul writes to the Corinthians about. Paul writes, I passed on to you as first, as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures. So the, the, the fact that he was wrapped in these aromatic spices, washed, covered, and buried is an essential part of the gospel, the good news that he came to announce that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago with gold. His burial is very, 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 very important for a couple of reasons. First, it points to the reality of his death. Jesus actually died on the cross. Sleeping people, people who've passed out, are not washed, wrapped, and covered with nearly 40 kilograms of spices and aromatics, are they? They're not. His burial set the stage for his bodily resurrection. And it is in, his burial is just another one of those ways that he identifies with you and me, makes himself like you and me. He did it with his baptism, and he did it with his burial as well. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, just as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. His burial then fulfilled that promise, that prediction, that prophecy that he said about himself. But he didn't just fulfill his own predictions, his own prophecy. He fulfilled the words of others as well. If you've got a Bible there, uh, let's turn back to the book of Isaiah. So we've been in the Psalms right in the middle of your Bible. If you go forward a few books, uh, you're going to go Psalms and Proverbs, a couple of short books, and then we're going to hit Isaiah. And uh, let's go toward the end of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52. And uh, we're going to pick this up in verse 13. Isaiah 52, 13. I'd really encourage you to read along with me. If you're a highlighter and underliner, grab a pen or something because there is so much in this passage. So... Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. Look, my servant will succeed. He will be elevated, lifted high, and greatly exalted, just as many were horrified by the sight of you. He was so disfigured, he no longer looked like a man. His form was so marred, he no longer looked human. 
So now he will startle many nations. Kings will be shocked by his exaltation, for they will witness something unannounced to them, and they will understand something they had not heard about. Who would have believed what we just heard? When was the Lord's power revealed through him? He sprouted up like a twig before God, like a root out of parched soil. He had no stately form or majesty that might catch our attention, no special appearance that we should want to follow him. He was despised and rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised and we considered him insignificant. But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain, even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God and afflicted for something he had done. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. All of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off on his own path. But the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but he did not even open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughtering block, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not even open his mouth. He was led away after an unjust trial, but who even cared? Indeed, he was cut off from the land of the living. Because of the rebellion of his own people, he was wounded. They intended to bury him with criminals, but he ended up in a rich man's tomb. Because he had committed no violent deeds, nor had he spoken deceitfully. Though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill, once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy long life. And the Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. Having suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied when he understands what he has done. My servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. So I will assign him a portion with the multitudes. He will divide the spoils of victory with the powerful because he willingly submitted to death and was numbered with the rebels when he lifted up the sin of many and intervened on behalf of the rebels. Wow. Uh, Adam Clark, a, a great old Bible commentator, wrote about this and he said, this chapter foretells the sufferings of the Messiah. We've said that the secret's out, that's Jesus. The, this chapter writes about, talks about how he was going to die and the advantages to mankind because of what Jesus did. This chapter contains a beautiful summary of the most peculiar and distinguishing doctrines of Christianity. So in this chapter, in this beautiful chapter, it talks about the strangest, the best, the weirdest, the hardest to understand things about being a Christian. This was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came, lived, died, was buried, and then rose. It was always going to be like this. It had to be like this. It had to be him, and it had to be like that. Crucified two criminals, put in a rich man, all of it had to be like this. It had to be Jesus, and it had to be like this. God, in his total sovereignty and omnipotence and wisdom, ordained and chosen, decreed that this was how it was going to be. 
And because God decreed that it was going to be like this, that Jesus was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sin, because that's how it happened, Jesus endured punishment that made us well. And because of his wounds, we have been healed. Charles Spurgeon wrote about this and he said, Will you notice that fact? The healing of a sinner does not lie in himself, nor in what he is, nor in what he feels, nor in what he does, nor in what he vows, nor in what he promises. It's not in himself at all. But there, where the pavement is stained with the blood of the Son of God, and there, where the place of a skull beholds the agonies of Christ, in his stripes the healing lies. And then he said, I beseech thee, I'm encouraging you as strongly and exhorting you as strongly as I possibly can, don't take this on yourself. If you consider yourself a good person, not in need of the healing that Jesus offers, what you're doing, as Spurgeon writes, is scourging yourself. You're bringing that upon yourself. And he says, I beseech thee. It's not, again, it's not how we speak to one another nowadays. He's saying, look, with all the authority and love I can possibly give this to you, don't do it. Accept what Jesus did for you. Accept that you need that help. Because if not, you're bringing that upon yourself. So because the body of Jesus was broken, battered, crucified, killed and buried, you and me are now able to receive the mercy and grace and the gift of healing from God because his body was broken and bruised as a sacrifice for you which could never have happened unless he was born in human flesh on that very first Christmas because his body was broken and bruised in need of those aromatic spices and the myrrh healing is now available to you there's one more thing that we need to talk about with myrrh. Uh, we said at the start that it's a resin uh, that she's been used throughout history as a perfume, an incense, and as medicine. Myrrh has healing properties. Myrrh is good for you and it heals you. But do you know how people get myrrh, how it's accessed, how it's harvested? We didn't really talk about this at the start. We just said what it is, what it does. We didn't talk about how you get it. Well, traditionally, to get myrrh, to get hold of the myrrh inside those bushy plants that we talked about, a tree is wounded and the resin is then released. A tree is injured and by the punishment inflicted on the tree, we are able to access and accept the healing that it offers. When a wound on a tree pierces the skin of the tree, the tree will give out this resin. Just think about that for a moment. Myrrh is harvested. The healing is accessed by repeatedly wounding the tree 
and it bleeds it out. The tree, these small shrubby bushes, literally bleeds out healing for you. So myrrh has healing properties as well as it being a very pungent, nice smelling thing. Uh, and it's released, it becomes available to you when the body that it's inside is broken. When the body is broken, the healing becomes available. To receive healing and all the goodness that myrrh contains, all the potential benefits it has for you, the tree that it is inside has to be broken and torn apart. The tree has to look like it's dead. Myrrh is released when the body is broken. The body of Jesus was broken for you, given for you as a sacrifice, and now healing is available to you as a gift from God, totally unearned and undeserved. We read, He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. Some people are going to look at stuff like this and say, wow, that's very interesting. Like, whew, a very interesting application. But if when you start to accept God's word as truth, when you see all these, these things are not coincidences. These are all millions and millions and millions of pointers and arrows and paths that lead you to the truth of Jesus and who he is and what he did and what it means for you. So the, 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 the healing that we all need is going to be intensely personal. Maybe you've been hurt in a relationship and now you find it really difficult to trust people. Maybe it's an emotional scar that you've been carrying for years and years and years. Maybe you've been unjustly accused of something and it's impacted your life in a really negative way. And you're feeling really bitter about what happened. You're feeling really angry towards some people because of what they did or what they said about you unjustly. Maybe it's a chronic physical problem that you have, a kind of thorn in your flesh that you need help enduring or actually you would like physical healing from. Maybe you're grieving a future that was taken away from you. You're grieving a, a future not yet lived. Maybe you've got spiritual hang-ups. You feel like there's a wall between you and living the life of faith that you so desperately want to live. And you just cannot seem to get past it. Whatever it is for you, and again, it's going to be intensely personal. But we said we've got a very personal high priest who doesn't, I wonder what that feels like. Who's been tempted as we are, who understands our life here. Whatever it is for you, it's going to be personal. The body of Jesus was broken for you and the blood of Jesus was shed for you. He endured punishment that made us well because of his wounds we have been healed. Whatever type kind of healing it is, whether you're hurting, lacking, struggling, grieving, falling. He was born in simple human flesh as a gift from God. And part of the 
many, many, many facets of his character and his person that he brings. One of them, as we said, the gold, frankincense, the myrrh, is the healing that he brings. Again, as a gift from God for you, totally undeserved and totally unearned. Christmas time is such a wonderful opportunity to see these truths, to accept these truths, to tell others about these truths, to look at these truths with fresh eyes and accept them more deeply and accept them more personally, moving away from head understanding to this truth now lives in me and it is deeply personal for me. The truth that Jesus, the word become flesh, comes and announces to you the good news that he has made a way through his supreme and sufficient sacrifice for you to be reconciled to God. And that there is, because of that, healing available to you because his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. That's what we're celebrating next Friday, the coming into the world of Jesus, God in the flesh, a great high priest for his people, and the gift of healing from God to humanity. Whatever you need healing uh, from, with, however you need that, Jesus made that sacrifice to make that available to you. And as myrrh was given to him, he now offers healing to you. Thank you.